Let's take our Bibles together this morning and go to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. And then if you have a copy of the confession this morning, we'll go ahead and turn to chapter number 12. We're dealing with the chapter of adoption. And we began with a, an overview of this particular paragraph last week. So this morning, we're going to be dealing with the subject of the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption. In Romans chapter 8, beginning there in verse number 12, we'll read down through verse number 17. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Father, I pray this morning now as we study this passage and we look to the confession this morning, Lord, that you would guide our hearts through this spirit, that the spirit would instruct us, give us wisdom, give us discernment, Help us to rejoice and to glory in the presence of the Spirit in our lives as the direct evidence of our salvation. Lord, we will give you all the praise and the honor and glory for what's accomplished in this place this morning. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. When we consider the spirit of adoption, uh, we're also looking at the reality of the author of our adoption. Now, we spent an extended amount of time last week defining what adoption is, defining and going through the confession really line by line. We did pretty much an overview outline of it. This morning, as we think about this spirit of adoption, we are thinking about who is the author of it, who determines who is adopted and who isn't adopted. It is the very foundation of what we believe as Christians, to be adopted into the family of God. When Paul wrote that passage that we read in Romans chapter number 8, uh, let me just draw your attention again to verse 15. We'll be making reference to this uh, numerous times this morning. Uh, Paul writing about the spirit of bondage and contrasting it with the spirit of adoption. Uh, those are two different categories. The spirit of bondage leads to fear. The spirit of adoption leads us to cry, Abba, Father. Uh, every individual is one of the other. They are either under the spirit of a bondage or they're under the spirit of adoption. Uh, they have either been adopted into the family of God or they have not been adopted into the family of God. From the very start of this chapter, this confession chapter, chapter 12 is only one paragraph long. And we are seeing clearly identified that it is God who is the author of our salvation. We saw that last week, how that uh, God is in fact the one who is the author. And it is through Christ that God has adopted us into the family of God. So justification precedes our adoption. And that's important to keep in mind. 
So it is God the Father who is the author of adoption. So what is it that Paul is dealing with here about this phrase, the spirit of adoption? Well, it is the same God who justifies us as the judge uh, in heaven's court. It is God who adopts us into this family. It is God the Father who adopts us into this standing. Now, adoption is a legal term, and that's important to understand. Uh, it's, a, it's a legal transaction, not just in the physical realm, but in the uh, spiritual realm. Uh, it is a legal term which, in fact, makes adoption a legal act. Uh, it is taking someone who is an outsider. Uh, Paul uses the word numerous times, an alien, not an alien from space, but an alien, a stranger, and places them in another family uh, that was contrary to his nature. In other words, this individual that is adopted into the family of God is adopted into a family that is contrary to his birth nature. Uh, he is not there by his name. He's not there by his pedigree. He's not there by his merit. And in the legal sense, he does not have a right to be adopted. However, John 8:44 tells us that at one time he was a child of the devil a son of disobedience. That is encapsulized by the phrase that Paul wrote in Romans 8, 15, the spirit of bondage. Okay, so to be in bondage is to be considered outside of the family of God. Now this person who was a child of the devil, who was a marked by their disobedience, now becomes legally declared by a legal act of God to be a child of God. Paul, in that passage in Romans 8, again says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Notice there's an emphasis there on the word many and led by the Spirit. That means the adoption, this legal act, this legal transaction is done by the Spirit of God. Uh, notice it says many. Uh, that means that not every single person in this world who is living or has lived or will live is automatically adopted into God's family. And that's, in, that's an important distinction. So this adoption, this legal act, this legal term, involves God granting this individual who was once an alien, a stranger, now legal status and all the privileges and all the blessings of a son. That's what the confession we learned about last week about the privileges and the blessings and how uh, they are pitied. They are, uh, it said, uh, pitied uh, and protected and provided for and chastened. That's what the confession tells us. All of these things are blessings now of our new legal standing. So now we are, in fact, a child of God. So all of those privileges also lead us to all the responsibilities. Uh, many, uh, many people want the blessings of a relationship, but they don't want the responsibilities. This adoption does not come without responsibility and without obligations. Uh, this is what trips a lot of people. They, they, they claim being saved by grace. They claim that it's all of God. It's my salvation is of the Lord. But suddenly they think, that that means I don't have to make the Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. Those two things go together. Uh, if you've been adopted into the family of God, uh, you should and you will make 
the Lord, the Lord of your life. This is not something you just choose to do later and say, well, I've been justified, I've been adopted, I'm going to think about whether or not I really want to be uh, making the Lord of my life. These things go together. So we have a legal status. So keep that in mind. Adoption is a legal status. So we're going to examine this morning even in more detail some of these blessings of adoption. But primarily what we're going to do is look at the spirit and the actual transaction itself. That's primarily what chapter 12 is talking about. These things are, are being transacted through the Holy Spirit. God the Father is the author, and it was based upon the, for the sake of Jesus Christ. We learned that last week. But it is transacted through the Spirit. So we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning looking at the reality of how the Spirit plays a role in this. So as we consider adoption, keep your place there in Romans 8.15. And let's think about this for a moment. So because the adoption of the believer is completely and, and really very, very closely related to the work of the Spirit, that's why Paul uses that term, the spirit of adoption. Uh, the explanation we'll talk about this morning is going to elaborate on the work of the spirit in the life of a believer. And we're going to go a step beyond what the confession says. Uh, the confession gives us this blueprint, uh, but we need to even see uh, more uh, closely. Now, it is not uncommon today, and it has been throughout all generations, that people believe, society believes, that if you were to pin them down and ask them, is God your father or are you a child of God? Uh, many even in society would say, well, yes, I, I believe that God is my father. Uh, the reality is, is the chapter of the confession, chapter 12, and even what Paul was talking about in Romans 8, uh, this is telling us and declaring that unbelievers are not the children of God in that special or legal way. Now, what we mean by that is the Bible, of course, acknowledges, and we would all agree that the Bible acknowledges that in a general sense, every individual who has lived, will live, and is living now, they are God's offspring. Why? Because they are created by him. But that's as far as it goes. Uh, just being creator does not make you adopted into the family of God. Uh, in Acts 17, verse 29, if you'd like to turn there, this is where that declaration is made. Uh, Paul is addressing the men at Athens, and he is, of course, he's, he's dealing with all of their superstitions at Mars Hill. It's a fascinating read, and you remember he reads the inscription uh, on their altar uh, that says, the unknown God. Imagine uh, worshiping an unknown God. How depressing and awful would that be, to worship a God that you do not know? So in Acts 17, 29, he deals with the reality of the offspring of God. He says, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. He is identifying that even these worshipers of the unknown God are the offspring of God, but he never uses the terminology that you are the child of God. You at Mars Hill who are worshiping this unknown God. He doesn't say, I know you're worshiping an unknown God, but aren't you glad that you've been adopted into the family of God and you're one of God's children? He doesn't say that. So this deck declares that God is in fact the creator. Now we do know that after the after the creation, 
of man and after the fall of Adam and Eve, John 8.44 tells us that people are described in their natural condition as being children of the devil. Now again, this is, this is harsh language, appears to be harsh language, because nobody wants to be considered the child of the devil. But in 1 John 3.10, the Bible tells us, In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his own brother. John, when he's writing in 1 John 3.10, declares that there are the children of God and there are the children of the devil. There are those who are the spirit of bondage. There are those who have been at the spirit of adoption. There is a clear line of marking between these two individual groups. Okay, So to be a child of the devil means you are alienated, you are still a stranger, and you have not received the legal status as a child. Okay, so we've, we've, we put that, put that false notion to rest that everybody is a child of God. Now, everyone here today who knows they're a child of God, we know how wonderful the doctrine of adoption is. Uh, we rejoice in the fact. We rejoice in the reality that God did not need us. God did not need to e elect us as his children. Uh, God was not yearning and longing for something to be added to himself in order to make himself feel more valuable, to make himself feel more worthy of his glory. He loved us because he chose to do so. That is the only reason. He loved us because he chose to do so. He justified us and adopted us because he chose to do so. Not on any merit of our own, but on the only merit is the merit of Jesus Christ. So here we have that he could have, all right, God could have just simply justified us and then set us free from sin, okay? So he could have said, listen, I've, I have justified you, that's enough. And I'm going I'm to go one step further and I'm going to justify you. I am going to set you free from the power of sin. But no, he goes one step further. What does he do? He now says, not only have I justified you, not only have I freed you from the power of sin, but I'm going to adopt you as well. I am now going to give you the same privileges, same, same blessings as one of my children. So God's grace goes further than just justifying us. So when, we, when we're back in our text and we're looking at Romans 8.15, notice again what, what Paul writes when he talks about the beauty of adoption. He says, brethren, back in verse 12, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For ye, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. He's identifying that when a child of God that legal standing has now changed. You are not going to live after the flesh any longer. Now you're going to live after God. That's being delivered from the power of sin. And again, back to what we looked at, verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Notice that is a very clear declarative statement. Not you will be the son of God, but that you already are the son of God. For if for ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, 
but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Here's, here's one of those key privileges. God's grace has gone so far. God's grace has moved even beyond just justifying us. It's adopted us as his very own. So we need to understand that these points that lead us to understand the beauty of the doctrine of adoption. So first of all, let's understand that adoption is after justification. Okay, adoption is after justification. Remember, justification pictures us as a guilty criminal. As a guilty criminal, that guilty criminal is now being declared innocent. I'm being declared innocent on the basis of someone else's righteousness. My declaration of innocence is not based upon anything I do. It's not based upon any work, any good thought, any good deed, anything that I do. What it is based upon is it's based upon the righteousness of Christ. So adoption is different from justification in that the picture is now not a criminal in a court being declared innocent on the basis of someone else's righteousness. Now the picture of adoption pictures a slave, all right, in a market being purchased. They are purchased and set free, right? But they're not set free just to run out into the wilderness. They are set free to be adopted into God's family and to actually be considered one of his own. Okay, so do you see the difference? God could have stopped, right? God could have stopped and said, I'm going to justify you. I'm going to set you free from sin. Now be gone. And we would have, we would have gone out. We would have said, I'm justified. I'm set free from sin. But I would not have the blessings, the privileges, or the responsibilities of being a child of God. So that's where Paul is in Romans 8, 15. He's not just talking about the beauty of justification. He's talking about the beauty of the additional benefits that we get because of this. So remember, adoption is a legal process. It's a legal term. Uh, if you want to turn to John 1, 12, Jesus actually referenced this particular idea of adoption. And he doesn't, the word adoption is not used. But in, in John 1.12, as John is writing about Jesus, okay, it's not Jesus' words, but he's writing about Jesus, he says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Notice the emphasis, the power to become the sons of God. That means our, tra- our legal status was changed from an alien, a stranger, into now a son of God. So in other words, and this is kind of a way to remember this, adoption changes our legal status. It makes that person who was once not a son or a daughter, now a son or a daughter of God. That's the order and the progression of what's happening here. So adoption is an added blessing beyond justification. It's a subsequent act. Okay, This is happening, and this is all happening in the spiritual realm, but understand that it's subsequent to justification. Now, that leads us to what, what does Paul mean then 
when he's talking about this principle in Galatians 3. So go ahead and turn to Galatians 3, and let's look at this passage. Again, we're, we're keeping a lot of information before us now. Galatians 3, verse 22 through 26. How does, how does faith play into this? Okay, so here's, here's Galatians 3, verse 22. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin. All that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Okay, now remember, adoption is different from justified. So he's talking primarily, first of all, that we might be justified by faith. Next verse. But after that, but after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have, have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, again, he's not saying every person has been created. He's saying all of these individuals who have been justified, have been justified by faith, and then here's the identifier of an adopted child. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So Galatians, Paul in Galatians 3, is talking about believers being justified by faith. After faith comes, believers are no longer under a tutor. That's what he means in verse number 25. They're not under that schoolmaster anymore. But they have now, verse 26, become a child of God or sons of God. That's what he means in verse 26 of Galatians 3. Ye are all the children of God. That's adoption. Okay, so we see justification in the previous verses, and now we see adoption. There's the order. There's the progression. Thirdly, here's the work of the Spirit. Believers are adopted through receiving the Spirit who is called the spirit of adoption back in Romans 8.15. This is what that subject we began with today, Romans 8.15, the spirit of adoption. Notice that spirit of adoption gives us the right to cry, Abba, Father. Now, the, the use of words is important here. Now, I, I don't... I don't read a lot of other translations, but the translation that I'm using okay, uses very descriptive words that are important to, to make the connect, connection here. Okay? You have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry. Okay? It's cause and effect. Because I've received the spirit of adoption through the work of the spirit, my response is Abba Father. Okay? I'm, I'm, I'm no longer the spirit of, under the spirit of bondage, I'm now under the spirit of adoption. And as a result of my adoption, I don't speak as somebody who's under the spirit of bondage in fear. Now I speak as someone who is under the spirit of adoption. Does everybody understand that? That's, the, that's a tremendous difference here. 
This is a right we're given. We're given the right and the privilege and the blessing of being able to call God our Father. Not just because you were born. Not just because you were created. Not every person who's created has the right to call God their Father. That's why an unbelieving atheist, okay, who at, at, at a moment is deciding that I'm in great trouble and suddenly for just a split second they want to become a believer because they want help now from that God they don't believe in. They still don't have the right to call out to that creator and call him father. That's a right that is only granted after justification takes place. Justification by faith. So the Holy Spirit is involved in regenerating the person first. Okay, don't, don't lose sight of the Trinity in your regeneration. There is no just, hey, the only person who regenerated you was Jesus. The entire Godhead is behind the salvation of every soul. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who actually does the regenerating. And it is the, it is the Spirit that is also giving us that identifying mark that we are in fact the child of God. So for illustration purposes, the only reason you know you're a child of God today is because the Holy Spirit tells you that. Not because I tell you that. Do you, do you understand how dangerous it is when someone says, can you tell me if I'm saved or not? Do you understand how, how impossible that is for you to declare? But do you know how many years of many of us have grown up in an environment where someone says, am I saved? Do you know you can say all the right things, you can, you can appear to do all the right things, but it is not me, it's not another believer that tells you that you are a child of God, it's the Holy Spirit himself that tells you you're a child of God. You know you're adopted because the Spirit tells you that. The same Spirit that regenerated you. That's what John meant. Let's go again back to John 1, 12 and 13. This is what he meant when he said, gave him power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So we see how this is all working through. You're right there. Go to John 3 and look at verses 5 through 8. Familiar passage. Jesus speaking with Nicodemus. Jesus answers Nicodemus' question about how can a man be born again? And notice the emphasis here. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Okay, now, I, again, I don't know what translation you're using, but the word Spirit should be capitalized there because this is not by your own Spirit. This is not by some other Spirit. You are, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Friends, you are not getting into the, you are not getting into the family of God unless you are justified by the Spirit first. The Spirit is the one doing the regenerating work. It was not you praying the prayer. It was not you asking God for forgiveness. That didn't regenerate you. The Spirit regenerated you. Okay? I'm hammering this because there is such a fine line between when people start talking about their conversion, their regeneration. They'll almost identify, well, sure, I believe that the Spirit did it. But the Spirit was, their thought is this, but the Spirit was waiting on me. The Spirit was never waiting on you. 
The Spirit is the one who does the conversion. It is the gift of repentance that we believe. It is the gift of being made willing to believe. The regenerating work that's taking place is not because of us. It's because of what the Spirit is doing. Again, notice the conversation goes on. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That kind of sounds exactly like what Paul was talking about in Romans 8.15 about that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit. Born of the capital Spirit. See? Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. And whether it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. The wind goes wherever it chooses to go. You don't know where it's coming from. You've never seen the wind. You only see the effects of it. I mean, isn't it amazing? We look out the wind, we look at the window during a summer storm and the leaves are blowing and we say, look at that wind. You're not looking at the, you're, you don't see the wind. Or someone says, look at the wind on that tornado. You're not seeing the wind. You're seeing the debris that the wind is picking up. But you're not seeing the wind. The wind goes wherever it chooses to go. And that's what he's talking about the spirit. I can no more see the wind than tell somebody, I can get you saved right now. If you'll just repeat after me, I can get you saved and I can get this all nailed down today so that you never have to wonder again, are you justified and you adopted in the family of God? I can't do that. Why? Because the Spirit of God has got to move. Now I'm called, I'm responsible to tell other people about Christ. We are all called. If you're a believer, this is not just a ministry that, that, that a pastor or an elder or deacons are called to do. We're all called to testify who Christ is. But you're never once called to save a soul. You're never once called to regenerate. Why? Because you don't know where the Spirit's going to show up. All you can do is speak of your adoption. All you can do is speak of your justification. So what happens? This person who's now been regenerated by the Spirit now has a new heart. They exercise faith in Christ. Faith in Christ now equates to my justification and also my adoption. Go to Galatians 4. This is one of the passages that the confession specifically references. Some of these are, are crossover verses that are, that are hitting on the footnoted verses in the confession. And I think we might have read this last week, but Galatians 4, look, let's look at verses 1 through 6 again. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive, what's this next phrase? The adoption of sons. Now here comes the responsibility part. And because ye are sons, God hath set forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Not only is it a privilege to call God, call our father, Abba, Father. It is a responsibility. Oftentimes, we don't look at obligation and privileges and count them as the same. But do you realize we could emotionalize this 
And we could talk about what a beautiful picture it is for you to be able to call on God your Father and call Him Abba Father. But do you know as a child of God, that is an obligation, it's a responsibility. He is the Lord of your life. He is the Lord of everything. And when we think about this adoption, because we've received the Spirit of God, do you realize we can cry nothing else? Are we getting that today? You, you can't cry Abba to the devil. You can't cry Abba to the world's God. Or like Paul said to the unknown God, the inscription at Mars Hill we just talked about. It's impossible for you for a child of God to now look to the unknown God and say, Abba, unknown God. Why? Because you've been adopted. It's a legal term, remember? You can no longer call anyone else your father except for the only true God. There is such a beauty in this description of what Paul is talking about here. We cry, Abba, Father. This shows that the Holy Spirit enables us to recognize our adoption into God's family. And there's no greater recognition as a believer you should have today than realizing I am an actual child of God. No matter what mess you're in in this life. And folks, let's just be honest. Earthly families are a mess across the board. It's just the way it is. Why? Because we're all sinners. We oftentimes look at our families and we say, how could that person have reacted that way? How could they have acted that way? Because they're still sinners saved by grace. We don't always live up to our namesake. There are days we ought to be extremely ashamed of ourselves about our actions and our attitudes and how we responded and how we thought. Because even in the mess of this life, if you're a child of God, you have something so beautiful and so wonderful that there's nothing in comparison to it. Your family's never going to be perfect. Neither is mine. But to be adopted in the family of God, it is a perfect adoption. And He didn't adopt me because I was going to be a good child of God all the time. If that was the case, I lost it the same day I got it. He would have taken me back and said, I want to turn this one back in. This one's not living up to what I thought they were going to be. You know what most of life is? This is kind of a rabbit trail I'm going on. Most of life is failed expectations. We don't live up to what we think ought to be because we're sinners. Oh, there's beautiful pictures in between. There's wonderful mountaintops in between. There are times when we are, we are, we are, we are aware of the blessings of our family. We're, we're enthralled with the reality of who they are. But then there's times it's not such a beautiful picture. But the receiving of the gift of the Holy Spirit and adoption should not be seen as separate acts from justification and regeneration as if someone can be saved but only receive the Spirit as a second blessing. The Holy Spirit is not a second blessing. If you were regenerated, you got the Holy Spirit the day of your conversion. We're not wandering around waiting, when's the Spirit going to now come on? I'm looking for my second blessing. I got my first one, now I want my second one. There are denominations that teach that. They teach you're justified, but you, you're still waiting on that second blessing. Sometimes it'll cross over into the reality of these spiritual gifts, saying, okay, if you're really a child of God, you're waiting on the second blessing. You need to be able to speak in tongues. You need to be able to heal people. They believe that those works are, 
are identifiable marks of salvation. And in the Scripture, just because you could do a work, just because you could heal, just because you could speak in tongues, was not an identifying mark that you were a believer in Jesus Christ. Even the devils, the demons could do this. It's very important to understand that. So these denominations that are wandering around out here, they're saying, listen, you know why you can't speak in tongues? You know why you can't heal anybody? Because you've not truly, you don't have enough faith. Folks, that's false. That's not Bible. And I want you to know, it is, it is infiltrating, the speaking of tongues and spiritual gifts is infiltrating Reformed Baptist churches right now all across this country where we've got a group of Reformed Baptists who are now suddenly saying, you know what, are we missing something? Why doesn't our pastor stand up and speak in tongues? Why doesn't he heal? It's creeping in. That was never an identifiable mark of your conversion. The presence of the Spirit is. So the Spirit is received immediately after a person believes in Christ. You can read that Acts 2.38, Galatians 3.2, and Ephesians 1.13. It's not possible for someone to be a Christian and not have the gift of the Spirit. I didn't say a spiritual gift to heal, but you have the gift of the Spirit's presence. Is the Spirit permanent or temporary? It's a permanent gift. It's permanent until the day of redemption. We understand Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Ephesians 4, 30 teaches that. Ephesians 4, 30 also teaches that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Ephesians 5.18, Acts 4.31, Acts 13.52 tell us that we need to be filled with the Spirit. That's yielded to. It's not a refilling. You don't refill the Holy Spirit like you refuel your gas tank. And I'm telling you, there are people that are going to church today saying, you know what, I just got to get refilled with the Spirit today. You've got all the Spirit you're going to get. It's not going to increase and it's not going to decrease. You're not going to wake up one day and say, my Holy Spirit tank is on empty. But I went to church and now my Holy Spirit tank is on full. The being of the filled is simply being yielded to. So the evidence that someone is indwelt by the Spirit is identified this way. They confess, they confess Christ as Lord. They obey Christ. We're missing, we're missing in our salvation testimonies because we have, we have misunderstood grace to just simply mean it's all of Jesus, it's all of Christ. But do you know obedience is required? Again, not to save us, but it's a requirement because it is a, it's going to be the evidence of what we are. What was Jesus talking about in Matthew 7? In verses 21 through 23, when he, when he said this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Just because a person says, I've prophesied, I've cast out devils, I've done wonderful works. These words, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So the evidence of the Spirit is evidence of adoption. They confess Christ. They obey Christ. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 tells us we have the fruit of the Spirit. Not the ability to speak in tongues. Not the ability to heal people. 
in and of ourselves, but the fruit of the Spirit. Miraculous gifts and prophesying were never infallible evidences of salvation. So just because someone in that day could do those things, I could not say they must be a believer because that wasn't the identifying mark. So that concludes our study this morning. Now let me give you, let me give you a couple things I want you to consider. And then if you need to ask a question on top of that, uh, you can certainly do so. But understanding in our level over the last two weeks, understanding the biblical doctrine of adoption, what is your reaction to that? How do you react to the to understanding of your adoption? Like what's what does it, what's it make us feel? What's it make us consider? Knowing you've been adopted. Anybody have a thought? Nikki. <laughs> 